0: Hello and welcome to Quid Pros Quo. I'm Zach. And I'm Rin. And today we are in a new sound booth because our old one is getting dismantled.
1: What? Um, I didn't know that was the entire case. Yep,
0: that one's That's being so dismantled. Sad. Yeah, RIP sound booth two.
1: So we're hoping this one works. If not, early hiatus, <laughs> I will record it in my closet.
0: <laughs> but today we're talking about dialogue versus internalization. So. Rin, you suggested this uh, episode. Walk us through what, what dialogue is and what internalization is.
1: So dialogue's pretty straightforward. It's what your characters say, and this often on with what they do. Um, so this is, like, everything in quotation marks, and often the dialogue tags that go along with him. That, like, he stood, as he said, X, Y, Z. Uh, so that's like what we're classifying as dialogue, and generally novels have between twenty-five and thirty percent dialogue, um, which means that the other sixty-five to seventy-five percent is narrative and internalization. And internalization is what your characters think and react It's whats going on inside, hence the internalization. I know. Wow. Going, right. Um, Shocking. And then there's narrative and we're going to use the term scene versus summary throughout this episode where scene is action, and summary is exactly what it sounds like. So.
0: Yeah, I think one of the ways to think about scene versus summary is the difference between showing versus telling. Because when you're doing a scene, you're showing the action. When you're summarizing, you're telling what the action is. Yes. And there are... Cases for both inside of literature.
1: Exactly what I was gonna say. Like
0: you don't all you don't always want to be showing each and everything. Because if it's not interesting, you just wanna get through it as quickly as Mm -hmm. possible. And sometimes you can also use telling for like a dramatic effect.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I found this quote from Jack Bickham, who is a writer. I heard this on a different writing podcast. I think it was uh, what was it called? It's like The Essential Guide to Writing a Novel, I think, by, yeah. with Jim Thayer. Uh, but he quoted Jack Bickham and said, a scene is a segment of story action written moment by moment without summary presented on stage, not what is going inside a character's head. So there's almost a mini story in and of itself. Um, I have this somewhat lengthy example of a scene from Witch's Blood that I, I recently, so I'm querying Witch's Blood right now is a long and arduous process um but i rewrote my first chapter and i'm pretty proud of this and i was prepping these notes right after i wrote the chapter so i was like this is an easy thing to grab from yeah for sure so here we go
0: <gasps> we're doing audiobook
1: audiobook we're doing you're,
0: audiobook
1: you're so right i thought uh, total tangent i thought i'm doing an audiobook for all hell the queen of hearts yeah I have not done it yet because it seems like a lot of work but i have like a and begin a tutorial from a writing conference on YouTube, saved on my YouTube Watch Later playlist. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll do it. Who knows? Secret information. <laughs> I I
0: bet your readers would love it.
1: I think they would. I get so many people at farmers' asking, "Oh, do you have an audiobook?" I'm like, no. Um. I only do audiobooks. I'm like, I get it. I also like pretty much only do audiobooks now because I have a job that lets me do that. Yeah. Okay, but anyways, "Witch's Blood" chapter one. This is starting like the second paragraph. Cordelia cut the back of her forearm with her spell knife, dripping blood onto the loamy soil of the forest. She envisioned the blood going deep, deep into the soil, and growing roots to grow carrots and potatoes and wobble gourds. Blood soaked into the soil, turning it from deep brown to black. From the darkened soil, feathery green carrot tops emerged, purple potato blossoms bloomed, and green speckled, speckled golden wobble gourds popped up. Gathering the newly grown vegetables, Cordelia returned to the wagon circle as she walked by, hefting the basket of veggies the children of the coven ran by, playing a game of pretend. Cordelia smiled as she watched her cousins play. Every once in a while, they would use their spell knives to prick their fingers and draw blood, just enough to shoot colored sparks or flower petals into the air, accenting their play. As Cordelia walked to the center of the clearing, her wound healed over, forming new skin. She was still to treat it with some ointment so it didn't scar, but in a day or two, the skin would be fully healed. Cordelia reached the adult and replaced the heavy basket down with a thump. A course of gratitude met her ears. Cordelia nodded and started to take the vegetables in the basket and hand them over to the other adults. At first, no one noticed the man approaching. Cordelia was chatting with her mother, Isidora as they cut vegetables for the hearty stew they were preparing. But then the man approaching caught Cordelia's eyes. She put down the chopping knife and nudged Isidora, nodding towards the man. So, notice how that doesn't have any summary. It is fully seen. Um... And if I wanted to summarize that scene, I would say Cordelia grew vegetables for the dinner soup, and went to the rest of company to help prepare dinners. So that's like what Zach was telling about with like telling versus showing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes it sometimes that telling is going to be appropriate, but it, since it's at the beginning of the novel, right? You want to show. You want to. You also want to establish a magic system. That was one of the things yeah. that you mentioned was the like the purposes of the purposes of the scene. And a lot of times scenes do two or three things at once in order to justify their existence inside of your inside of your manuscript. Um, so this is a good example of doing dual, you know, doing two jobs at once. Where double you're, duty. Yeah, double duty. You're establishing the character, you're establishing the magic system, and you're starting to give an idea of what's going on with the setting as well. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's three jobs.
1: Three jobs. So... It's like a first chapter. I'm, like, sending, like, the first five pages out to agents, and they're, like... I'm, like, I have to put, like, so much in the first five pages to, like, try and hook readers. Yeah. But I'm also trying to not overwhelm them. So it's a balance you have to strike. Um, the one... And to have a successful scene, you need internalization. And because this is only a few paragraphs, we don't get a lot of internalization here. We get that Cordelia is happy as she watches her younger cousins play... She, like, thinks about her scars healing um, from the blood-based magic system. But other than that, there's not a lot of internalization in this scene, which I realized when I was putting it on, and I thought about rewriting it to add more internalization, but I was trying not to be too into the (laughs) character's head on the first scene because it's not a first-person novel. Right. Which is something we'll talk about in just a second, where, like, first-person, you need so much internalization, Mm -hmm. whereas in third-person, especially third-person limited, it can be harder to get that internalization in.
0: Yeah, so... And especially, this is especially going back to, you mentioned not wanting to overwhelm the reader, and sometimes internalization can be overwhelming, but it can also distance the reader from what's going on on stage, right? Yeah. And at the beginning, it's often, you know, you're pulling the curtain up and you're interested in what's on stage. Mm-hmm. Like, who's coming on, who's going off, and what are they doing kind of thing. Exactly. So you mentioned different points of view. Um, you have your first person, third person limited, and third person omniscient. And the way that you handle your internalization is going to be slightly different depending on what your POV is for your, for your manuscript. So tell us, what does internalization look like for a first person POV?
1: Well, since in first person you're literally in the head of your protagonist, you don't really have an excuse to not have... Their thoughts on the page, their internal reactions on the page. Um, as I said, I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks, and I think of like I was. I'm trying to read the Mistborn series. Mm-hmm. It's really hard because the audiobooks have the longest wait at the library. Like, yeah. Forever, because we live in the home state of Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> Everyone is obsessed with him. Yeah. Um, but I was like listening to Mistborn the other day, and Vin was like. You know, internalizing like these metal systems and she's, like super she's like she has a criminal background and she's like, how can I use this to like show myself I guess this is not first person, huh? It's third person
0: it limited. Is third person limited. You're but right. maybe we can grab a maybe we can grab a kernel that we can apply into a first person.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think the last thing I read in first person. I don't read a lot of first person novels. I prefer third person limited. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I know my last first-person novel. It was The Honeys by Ryan Mm LaSala. Kind of a really intense book. Didn't know what I was getting into. It's kind of like a psychological (laughs) thriller type thing, but it's like in a summer camp, and it's like an exploration of, like, gender and gender roles.
0: Okay. It was
1: really interesting. But the internalization along that novel, and this is probably going to have some spoilers. Not really. In the first chapter, his twin sister dies, Mm -hmm. which is, like, super sad. But then, like, a lot of the internalization is him, like, coping with, like, how to fill her shoes as Mm -hmm. he goes back to the summer camp that they both used to attend, but they they stopped attending. Um, and Mars, the main character, is just, like, you know, kind of judging everything, and and they're, like... I'm forgetting the word, but they're, like, coming back to this summer camp that they stopped going to because of a terrible bullying event, like... Yeah. This is a spoiler. Like, some other kids basically, like, tried to burn him at the stake. It was
0: oh my monstrous.
1: Gosh. It was really bad. I was, like... I was this, like... Because I'm doing my, like, lab work, and I'm, like... WTF?
0: <laughs> be Lord of the Flies up in here.
1: Oh, <laughs> really, though. But anyways, Mars is in the the honeys is a great example of like internalization because they have opinions about everything that's going on and they're not sharing it with everyone else so it's not getting into dialogue most of the time
0: It's to the reader it
1: is to the reader exactly
0: yeah Yeah, i just finished reading this morning um uh a natural history of dragons by marie brennan highly recommended it's on my list it's super fun um, and the way that is written it's written from a first- person perspective from the you know the author, uh, Lady Trent is uh, writing these memoirs, but it's sort of in a Victorian kind of genre and style. so she actually speaks to the reader directly in the style of like a 18th or 19th century author like Dickens or you know gentle yes. reader and um, You may be wondering why I responded in this way, kind of thing. Or saying, you know, this comment was not in my best interest to survive this interaction, but it was the thing that came out of my mouth, kind of thing. Yeah. So, there's a lot of... There's internalization, but it's filtered through that lens of recollection. So, you have multiple layers going on with the internalization. That makes it a very enjoyable read and very enjoyable to listen to.
1: Yeah. So, that makes me think a lot about, like, character voice. Yes. And it's like the internalization is all going to be felt through your character voice and the tone that they're going for. Yeah. Especially in a first-person novel. When you get into, like, a third-person novel, and we're going to go back to Mistborn, because that was one of my recent things, and I feel like that's a wildly applicable book, just because Sanderson is so popular. Yeah. But, like, Vin, like, goes through this thing. She's, like, she's, like, not just in Keltier with, like, the 10th medal, she's like, Why won't you tell me what the 10th medal is, and she's very dubious, and you can see that on the page, even before she actually vocalizes it to or Yeah,
0: um, and character voice is still important inside of third-person limited. I know that, for me, when I am, when I'm drafting, I usually do third-person limited for yeah. most things. Um, and the way that I write third-person limited, for example, in my current work in progress, um, sometimes the perspective changes from the cop to the cop's daughter to the cop's wife, and they're each different. They're written differently, even though it's all third-person limited, but their voice is what goes through with the internalization. So with the daughter, she I mean, she's nine, eight or nine, um, and so she's using words like mom and dad, um, monsters, princesses. Like She's approaching the world through... Through a a certain lens, lens. through a child's Mm -hmm. lens. Whereas with, uh, you know, her dad as a police officer, he's approaching it through the lens of warrants and let's get down to business. Let's figure out who the victim is, who is the, you know, what's the means, what's the motive. Like, Mm -hmm. those sorts of words helped with the internalization. Um, I don't read a lot of third person omniscient.
1: I feel like there's not a lot of them out there because it's really hard to do well.
0: That is true. I think Terry Pratchett is a good example of third-person omniscient where the um, where the character or where the narrator is like a character. Um, I'm also reading Tress in the Emerald Sea, which oh, is yes. also kind of third-person omniscient.
1: Yeah.
0: Sort of, kind of. And everything, like the internalization is through the voice of the... Through narrator. the voice of the narrator who acts as a as an extra character who accompanies you throughout the entire story.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I've got for, like, omniscient narrations is just being the voice of the narrator. I'm trying to do...
0: But there's still... It's still the internal thought processes of one of the characters yes, in the narrative.
1: exactly. Your goal is to get internalization onto the page because, again, it makes up, like, over half of your novel. Right. So...
0: So how do you do that?
1: Yeah, great, <laughs> great question, Zach. <laughs> um, I think stepping into your character's shoes, like, and imagining what you think about or react to in this situation, if you were that character, like, you don't want to put your own reactions on the page, because mm-hmm. then that comes across as author voice instead of character voice. Right, right, right. Um, But you can do this as, like, an internal monologue, in italics, you can break paragraphs after to stretch of internalization, just like... When you see tags on the page, and you know characters thinking.
0: Mm-hmm. Voila, internalization. internalization. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Um, do you want to talk about the objective correlative? Really? Yeah,
0: back in episode eighteen, we talked about this method of objective correlative, which is a way of getting into your getting into what's going on inside of the the character's head and inside of their heart, um, without necessarily telling you what is in there um but as i was thinking about it i was like i suppose that's kind of like an externalization of the internalization cuz mm-hmm. it has to do with the way that you describe the world around them and the things that happen inside of the world around them but it is a, it is a way of linking together your narration with the internalization so that they kind of again do double duty yeah. they do this they do the same thing so if you're interested in learning more about that um, see episode 18, which I realized was actually a really long time ago. We're, like, on episode 60-something. I know. We're
1: we're recording episode 70 today, I think. Really? Oh, my yeah. goodness. Possibly wheels to 71. Depends on how it goes. <laughs> it's insane. Um, yeah. The other type of thing is you can highlight... This is, like, a editing tool. It's, like, you can highlight your different types of storytelling with, like, different colors. Yes. Um... So, like, highlight dialogue in, like, blue, internalization in yellow, narrative in green, and then because scene and summary will be, like, kind of a double layer of that, you can, like, underline it in, like, black or red or blue or something. Like, that's just something I found really useful in my editing is to see, like, I had a writing group a year or two ago, and I was submitting chapters that were so dialogue heavy. That one of my writing group members went through and highlighted everything that was dialogue, and then calculated how much of the <laughs> chapter was dialogue. He's like, "Rin, this is eighty-five percent dialog and I was like, "This is the first draft, okay?" <laughs> but anyways, sounds so like, like you
0: were writing a uh, play.
1: It, it really did. I don't think it was actually eighty-five. That was just a number I pulled out of thin air. But it was like it was like over half dialogue, and it needed to be less dialogue and it is now less dialogue yeah
0: and there are lots of strategies for cutting down on the dialogue but that's a different episode
1: yeah we should write that down because we can tell you an episode on that um but yeah so let's recap the episode there are a few different modes of story that we talked about. Dialogue and internalization were the focus of this episode where dialogue is what the characters say and sometimes do, whereas internalization is how they react internally to what's going on around them.
0: Yeah, and when you're looking at your novel, you're aiming for something like thirty to thirty-five percent dialogue. The rest of it is going to be split somewhere in between narrative and internalization. And whenever you're writing internalization or narrative, it's going to be filtered through the voice of the viewpoint character. In first person, that's going to be a bit more explicit. In third person, it's going to be limited. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> Oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> um, do you have a successful scene? You need internalization. Um... Yeah, you need internalization. I'm trying to think what else you need to summarize. Oh, and the way you can get more internalization on the page is you can step into your character's shoes, you can use the objective correlative, and as an editing tool, you can highlight the types of storytelling you're using. That's all I've got for today. Sweet. Thank you for joining us for Quid Pros Quo. We'll see you next time.